for your word and we thank you how active you are in the world. Uh, We thank you that you are transforming people throughout history and continuing today all over the world. And we pray that you might recharge us afresh this morning, that as we reflect on the story of Saul, uh, that we might be emboldened to continue to proclaim your name and see people's lives changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was a, a teenager in high school, there were two things that most teenage boys dreamt about. One was to be noticed by a pretty girl, and the other was to drive a convertible car. And most teenage boys thought that one would lead to the other. Driving a convertible car would lead to the attention uh, of said pretty girl. And there is something quite attractive about convertible cars. Not just the attention that might come your way as a result, but the freedom of being able just to press a button and retract the roof of your car, to feel the wind in your hair, if you have hair, to um, just to feel that you know, idea of taking risks and enjoying the world and being free and fun and all of those different things that a convertible car can bring you. Conversions in cars like that can lead to a whole new lease on life. And it's the same for people as well. There are lots of people that have conversion stories, people who have become vegans or vegetarians, coffee drinkers, embrace baldness. Many of us cannot look at life in any other way anymore. And of course, Christians have their own conversion stories as well. And when it comes to Christian conversion stories, there is something remarkable and incredible about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus recorded for us in Acts chapter 9. It quite literally was a Damascus Road experience You may have heard that phrase for a moment where the light is switched on and you see life differently, a Damascus Road experience. Well, it comes literally from Acts chapter 9 and Saul's experience. A blinding light from heaven, the voice, a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus himself. That doesn't happen to everybody. That wasn't my experience and maybe it wasn't your experience as well. And so I guess there is a danger for some Christians when we read Acts chapter 9 and the experience of Saul that we can feel a little bit disheartened or discouraged if that's not our conversion story. Maybe you grew up in a, in a Christian home where you were taught faithfully the gentle whispers of your parents to follow Jesus and you've never really known a time in life when Jesus was not with you. Does that make your story any less dramatic or cool compared to Saul's or somebody else who has a dramatic conversion story? Well, I want to say clearly to us all today, and particularly if you've grown up in a Christian home and you don't have a dramatic conversion story, no, every Christian story is amazing. Every Christian story is amazing because every Christian story is a story of grace. And the thing that's amazing about grace is not how God shows you grace, but that God shows you grace. That is what is most amazing. And I want you to see from Acts chapter 9 today, in Saul's story, two things that lie at the heart of every story of someone who is a Christian. No matter how dramatic your experience is or isn't, there are two things that are common to everybody's Christian story. But first, let's relive Saul's story and his surprising conversion. Now, this is not the first time in the book of Acts where we meet Saul of Tarsus. In fact, this time last year when we were doing the Recharge series, we'd already met Saul. In Acts chapter 7, verse 58, we saw that Saul was there as Stephen was stoned to death. 
Saul was there giving his approval to that event. And then we also meet Saul again in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, where we're told that Saul was ravaging the church. And what an adjective, ravaging. You know, like kids at church morning tea, you know, ravaging the things that are there. That was what Saul was doing to the church, ravaging it, destroying it. We're told that he would drag off men and women, remove parents from their children and put them into prison. And that continues in Acts chapter 9. Have a look again at verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, another way of talking about Christians, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. See, it was not enough for Paul to just break up the church in Jerusalem. He now wanted to travel the 200 kilometers to a foreign country, to a city called Damascus, and see if there are any Christians there too, and take them back to Jerusalem and put them in prison. Saul was a man on a mission, but not as a mission that we would adhere to. He was a man consumed with one passion, to eradicate Christians, like one might eradicate cockroaches. He saw it as a problem and he wanted to get rid of them. Later in the New Testament, Paul, Saul would change his name to Paul, the famous apostle, and he would reflect on these days before becoming a Christian and he described himself as an arrogant, ignorant man with a misplaced zeal for God, the worst of all sinners. That's who he was. But no matter how proud or strong or intimidating Saul was, that was nothing compared to King Jesus. Jesus is very much alive and he is very much king. And he meets him. Verse 3. As Saul travelled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men who were travelling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Then Saul got up from the ground and, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. And we could keep reading, but what happens then is Jesus, after the three days, speaks to one of his disciples, Ananias, and says, Ananias, go to the house where Saul is. He's been praying, and I want you to lay hands on him and pray and restore his sight. And we know Ananias does that. And then Saul is baptised. That great external sign that he has become a Christian. And here is the conversion story of the, one of the greatest church missionaries and church theologians that the world has ever known. Saul of Tarsus will later become Paul, the apostle. It really is a surprising story. But at the heart of Saul's experience, his story, is the same for you and for me if we are Christians. Even if our story is not as dramatic, there are some common things that lie at the heart which I want you to see. And the first is this that the heart of every Christian's story is a story of undeserving grace. Undeserving grace. 
Do you notice in Saul's story, Jesus didn't choose Saul because he saw something of value or noble in Saul's character. No, this was the man putting out murderous threats against the Lord's people. He was not a good man. Jesus didn't plead with Saul on the road. Saul, Saul, please stop doing what you're doing. I have something better. No, the Lord knocked this proud man to the ground and completely overpowered him. As you read the story, Saul is quite passive in his whole conversion. He is struck blind by his encounter with Jesus, a reality check, I think, to his true spiritual sight and and spiritual health. We're told that he needs to be led into the city. He's fallen to the ground, he's blind, and he needs his friends to walk him into the city. He's completely humbled and powerless and passive. The most Saul contributes to his own conversion, I think, is in verse 11, where he has a willingness to pray, and we can only imagine what he prays, and no doubt they were prayers of contrition and confession. And maybe also in verse 18, a willingness to say, yes, I want to be baptised. But from beginning to end, Saul's conversion is all an act of Jesus. It's all an act of grace, a grace that Saul and then Paul did not deserve. And later when Paul would write the letter to the Romans that we have in our Bibles, he would say something absolutely similar. In fact, crystal clear. In Romans 9, Paul says, So then, talking about conversion or salvation. It does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. In other words, it's not my choice necessarily, it's not my efforts, but on God's mercy, His grace. And that lies at the heart of every Christian's story. There's been a bit of talk in the media in recent weeks of this man. Does anyone know who it is? It's the famous American rapper, Kanye West and um, he has claimed to have been converted to Christianity in recent times which is a very surprising conversion indeed because not long ago Kanye West made a, a rap album called Jesus. He was mocking Christianity and Jesus and one of the lines in one of his rap songs said this talking about himself Kanye West I am a God I am a God so hurry up with my massage. That's who Kanye West believed himself to be. But now he is saying publicly, I bend the knee to Jesus. He is my God. I follow him. Ten years ago, if you'd followed the life story of Kanye West and Kim Kardashian and that whole drama, you'd think it's unthinkable that he, of all people, would become a Christian. But after you read the story of Saul and what happened to him, we cannot conclude that it's impossible for anybody to become a Christian. And I asked my Bible study group on Wednesday night, you know, say 10 years ago, is there somebody who is now a Christian that you would have thought 10 years ago is absolutely impossible to become a Christian? But they now are. And every single one of them said, yes, me. Now, not Mike, although that's true. Well, not 10 years ago, but... But for their own individual stories, 10 years ago, none of them were Christians and couldn't have even fathomed becoming a Christian. And yet Jesus reached into their life and called them to himself. As with Saul, Kanye, and you and I who are Christian today, we are only because of God's undeserving grace. 
And sometimes that might take the initiative of a megaphone from heaven for you. But for others, it's just the gentle, persistent voice of your parents who have continually pointed you to Jesus. Both are just as amazing. The second thing that we see in Paul's, Saul, sorry, his story, is the grace that's undeserving is also the grace that is overhauling. The proof of Paul's, Saul's conversion was his transformed life. His life was completely overhauled by Jesus. And we can see that in verse 19 to verse 31, how much Jesus has changed him. In verse 20 and verse 22, we're told that immediately after Saul is converted, he begins proclaiming, Jesus is the Son of God. Now, this is the man who just days before was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's people, using his voice for violence. And now he's using his voice to proclaim Jesus is king, to worship him and him alone. We also see the change in him in that the persecutor now becomes the persecuted. In Damascus, the Jews are initially quite astounded by what's happened in Saul's life in verse 21. But soon in verse 23, it turns to outright anger and they conspire to kill him. And when he escapes to Jerusalem, we see the same thing happens there in verse 29 the Jews try to kill him. The persecutor has become the persecuted. We also see that the once church destroyer now becomes a church member. He loves going to church. I think Saul learns in his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus that to persecute the church is to persecute Jesus. Do you remember Jesus' words to him? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul could have said, I think, well, I'm not persecuting you, I'm persecuting the church, but not you. Later, as Paul would write the letters to 1 Corinthians and to Romans and Ephesians, he would say, the church is the body of Christ. To persecute the church is to persecute Jesus' own body. And I don't think it's by accident that Jesus uses Ananias to restore Saul's sight. I love Ananias. He only appears in the Bible in this chapter. And he reminds me a little bit like Jonah in the Old Testament. You know, Jonah is told by God to go to a violent city and proclaim God's message there. And he's a little bit unsure about whether to do that or not. Ananias is told to go to this violent man that he's heard of and proclaim the good news to him. But unlike Jonah, Ananias actually obeys God and goes to see Saul. Now, Jesus didn't need to use Ananias, of course. He could have sent another blinding light from heaven or whatever it might be, some other miraculous thing to restore Saul's sight. But he chooses to use Ananias to bring about Saul's transformation. And I think that Jesus deliberately did that to teach Saul about the value of the body of Christ and of God's church. That Jesus, yes, he can do the miraculous, but he more often than not, chooses to use his people to bring about his purposes, his mission, which is exactly what Jesus has in store for Saul and later Paul, to be his instrument to bring the good news of Jesus to the nations. And I love how Ananias greets Saul in verse 17. Do you see the first thing that he says to him? Brother Saul, brother Saul. You know, formerly public enemy number one to all Christians, but is now welcomed as a family member, brother, welcome home. 
And then one of the changes, the obvious changes we see in Saul's life is this clear desire to be associated with these brothers and sisters, to go to church. In verse 19, we're told that he was with the disciples for some days. He is saved by those same disciples in verse 25. When he gets to Jerusalem in verse 26, he wants to associate with the other disciples there, even though they are a bit sceptical of welcoming him in because of what he did in the past. But eventually Barnabas sways the other disciples to welcome Saul into the fold and he is numbered as one of the brothers again in verse 30. You see, truly converted people seek out the companionship of other Christians. No matter how hard, how hard it might be or how weird it might look to others, those who are truly converted seek out the companionship of other Christians. The grace that is undeserved is the grace that overhauls. Now, if we return to our good old friend in recent weeks, Kanye West, as an example, as with Saul, there are those today who are quite sceptical of his so-called conversion, wondering whether it's a publicity stunt to open his music up to a, a new audience, some might say. But then there are others that are saying, no, no, he's truly converted. And look, you can be a Christian and cool at the same time. But the proof of Kanye's conversion will be seen in what? In his transformed life. In the overhauling grace of the Lord Jesus. Now, I don't know Kanye, I've never met him. But what I've read in recent times leads me to think that maybe just indeed there is this grace of God at work in his life. The Kanye who once proclaimed, I am a God, I am a God, has just written a new music album called Jesus is King. Not Jesus, but Jesus is King. I haven't listened to the album yet, but I've been told that it is a worshipful, straightforward expression of faith in Christ. I've been told that Kanye has sought out fellowship with Christians, that he's meeting one-to-one -one with an evangelical church pastor to go through the Bible together. I've been told that he has started what he calls Sunday services, which to me initially just looked like another version of a concert, but he describes it in his way of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus to those who so desperately need to hear it. We'll never be certain of Kanye's heart, where it's at. And if he truly is converted and saved, what it will be that will prove that is his overhauled life. That through the ups and downs of his career, his steadfast commitment to being like Christ. But I think at the moment, whether we're sure or unsure of where he is at, we can at least give Kanye what he has requested of us. And that is this, in a recent media statement, he said this, don't throw me up, lay your hands on me, please, please pray for me. I think we could at least do that. And isn't it interesting that now because of this new album of Kanye West, who is so popular throughout the world, there are billions of people Googling Jesus is King. What an opportunity. The grace that is undeserved is the grace that overhauls. Now, you may be here today at church for the first time or returning back to church after a long hiatus or relatively new to church today. And maybe like Kanye, you have been a little dissatisfied with your life. You've had the ups and downs, you've had wealth and status, but you've also had depression and anxiety and loneliness 
And maybe you're just coming to church to check out whether this Christian thing will actually do anything for your life. If that is you, then can I encourage you to take a little thought experiment with me this morning. Imagine, imagine maybe you are Saul today. Maybe Jesus knew that you were walking down the road to come to this place today. And maybe this could be your Damascus Road experience today. Now, I'm not saying that you ought to expect blinding lights from heaven or an audible voice booming down into your, into your ears. But you have heard the voice of God today. As Catherine and as Kevin and as I have opened the word of God to you. As you have had an encounter with Jesus this morning. As you've witnessed him in the word of God. Jesus might just be saying to you today, Mike, Mike, insert name, insert name, come to me. Stop running. Stop searching. Come to me and I will lift you up. That is grace. It's something that you don't need to pay for. Jesus has already paid for it in full for you by giving up his life for you. You don't have to fix yourself up before you come to Jesus. Saul didn't fix himself up before coming to Jesus. Jesus just confronted him where he was. You can come as you are to Jesus today. The grace that you so desperately need is undeserved. You just need to receive it and to say thank you for it. And I want to give you an opportunity later this morning to embrace that grace if you want to today. But my guess is that many of us here have embraced that undeserving grace. But I also want you to remember that that same undeserving grace that you have received is the same grace that ought to overhaul your life. I started the talk with the example of the convertible car. Christians, we can be convertible sometimes as well. One day we have the top-down, li loving life, living for Jesus, taking risks for him, being on mission for him. And then other days we put the top back up. We look nothing like Christ. We're just like every other car on the road or every other person in the world, afraid to stand up for Jesus. But remember, a Christian is someone who is converted, yes, but a Christian is not convertible. We don't go one way and then back the other and back one way and back the other. Like Saul, a true Christian convert is someone who does not look back at their old life but looks forward and lives the new life that Jesus has for them. Just as Jesus left his grave clothes in the grave, so we must leave our old life in that tomb as well. And whatever that was for you before you became a Christian, whatever it is that's tempting you to go back into that way of life, drunkenness, lust, greed, power, whatever it is, leave it behind. And walk in the new life that Jesus has won for you. In this recharge season, I want you to remember that the grace that is undeserved is the grace that overhauls. Use this recharge season to keep asking Jesus to transform your life, brother and sister. And maybe today it could start with just thinking about the things that happened in Saul's early days of his Christian life. It could start with reviewing how you spend your downtime. Do you know that when Saul had 
rest enforced on him because of his blindness for three days, what did he do during that downtime? He wasn't on Facebook. He wasn't on YouTube. He wasn't binging on Netflix. He was praying, recommitting his life to God. Maybe that's something that you could do during this recharge month of November, to use the downtime that God gives you to recharge spiritually, to spend time praying to him, recommitting your life to living for him. Another thing Saul does in those early days is pray and then act with boldness, proclaiming that Jesus is king, even in places that would have been terribly difficult for him to do, like back in Jerusalem. I wonder if this recharge season you might pray for boldness to speak that Jesus is king, even in those hard places, your workplaces, at school or your university. And I think for some of us, the hardest place to proclaim that Jesus is king is in our own home. To our husband who doesn't know Christ, to our wife who doesn't know Christ, to our siblings, to our children or children to your parents. But pray throughout the month of November for boldness to proclaim that Jesus is king. Another thing that you might ask God to overhaul in your life as we move into a new year together in 2020 is like Saul, to seek out Christian companionship, to pledge your commitment to God's people next year, that I want to try as best as I can to come to church every week and not just listen to the sermons online or to my favourite preacher from America on YouTube. I want to seek out face-to-face fellowship, to experience more fully the encouragement that I need and that others need from me as well. I want to pledge to join a discipleship group where I can be nurtured and grow in confidence in my Christian life. I want to pledge to commit to serving in a ministry team at church so that I can encourage others on mission and be encouraged myself on mission as well. Those who are truly converted seek out the companionship of other Christians. Of course, it's not going to be easy. It wasn't easy for Saul. But look at the result. Verse 31 of chapter 9. Verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee and Samaria had peace, being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, and it increased in numbers. What a great thing to witness and be a part of. Now, of course, that's not a promise for us today that if we live this overhauled grace life, that we will increase in numbers and know peace and encouragement that we've never known before. But I think we can say if we are living an overhauled grace life, it's not going to hold us back. And we do have the sure promise of Jesus. When he said, go into the world and make disciples of all nations, the Great Commission, he followed that with the great comfort. And behold, I will be with you even to the very end of the age. And like Saul, you will have brothers and sisters in Christ standing shoulder to shoulder with you to encourage you, to spur you on, to live for Jesus. Rest in that promise. Let's pray. Father, there are some of us that are here today because we've been wondering what life is all about. We've been dissatisfied with our life to date and we've been thinking maybe we should try this Christian and God thing. Father, if that is us, 
if that is me, then maybe today is the day that I need to be right with you. Maybe that's the day that you need to commit your life to Christ. And so I want to give you an opportunity to do that now. Maybe you could echo the words that I'm about to pray in your own heart and mind. Father, I'm sorry for running away from you, living life however I wanted to live. But thank you that you pursued me, that you have confronted me with your goodness and grace in Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you lived the perfect life that I haven't, but you've died the death that I deserve and you've risen again to offer me a fresh start. Jesus, I turn to you. Jesus, I leave my old life in the past. Jesus, I want to live for you. Father, for those of us that have made that commitment many years ago, continue to overhaul us by your grace. Continue to help us to leave our old life in the tomb. Help us to live the new life that you have called us to. Give us boldness to proclaim the glory of Jesus. Help us to seek out Christians for companionship and encouragement and recharge. Help us to be your instruments to the nations. In Jesus' name.